Welcome to the Satiated Podcast, where we explore physical and emotional hunger, satiation, and healing your relationship with your food and body. I'm your host, Stephanie Mara Fox, your somatic nutritional counselor. I'm looking forward to diving in today with Jessie Jean. Jessie is a certified mind-body eating coach who turned her decade-long struggle with food and body into her mission. Now she helps women all around the world end the fight with food using unique brain-based techniques so they can have any effortless relationship with food and unshakable confidence in their skin. Jessie graduated from the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, where I teach, and I'm so excited to connect with her today. Welcome, Jessie. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so I would love to start out with hearing a little bit more about your history, because I know on social media, even the things that I've seen you post is you're very open around your history with food and body, which I think is such an inspiration to support others and feeling not so alone on their journey. Mm, Yeah. I struggled with my relationship with food from the time that I was a freshman in high school. It became something that I turned to for energy because I was sucked into this very perfectionistic mindset. And so I started sleeping maybe three to four, maybe five hours a night as starting as a freshman in high school, because I was plugging myself into so many different things from athletics to advanced academics, to student government, to volunteering, all these different things, because I felt like that was the only way I was going to make it out of my current situation to grow beyond just the place that I was at. My well-intentioned parents said, if you want to go to college, we're really sorry, but we, we don't have any money to send you. You're going to have to get scholarships. And so my head was just, I was grinding from the time I was a freshman. And as a result of uh, not sleeping enough, I was exhausted and needed energy. So I turned to food and then my body uh, started to change. And not only was I a growing girl, but I was also struggling with a lot of stress anxiety and I turned to food for energy. And as I did that, I noticed my body changing and I felt a lot of shame around that. And then I would try to restrict food and then I would snap and binge. And at the time I didn't even know what I was doing. I just knew that I was embarrassed and I didn't want anybody to know. And the cycles just got more and more intense and food started to feel like it was controlling my life. And the way that I looked was something that I always thought about what my weight was. I was always thinking about it. And I just felt so much shame in my body and so much shame in my relationship with food. And I didn't understand how I could excel and succeed in a variety of different areas of my life, but I couldn't figure out this whole food thing. Yeah. It was a a really long journey of self-discovery and figuring out one, what I was dealing with and two, recognizing it was a multifaceted challenge that I was thinking dieting or the next life, quote unquote, lifestyle plan or meal plan was going to fix when, you know, over the years I had ingrained these deeply, deeply ingrained neural habit pathways. I had created these cyclical patterns that started to just function on autopilot. It was like a broken record in terms of my thoughts and my emotional patterns and my behavior patterns. I had no idea that my nervous system was so dysregulated and that was contributing to the impulsive tendencies with food and just didn't know how to get out of this. And so for many years, I felt incredible shame and embarrassment and kind of thought that this 
was just going to be my life, always dieting and always, you know, struggling with food. And I just thought that was normal, but I didn't like it. And I kept digging and kept digging. And eventually it led me down some really powerful places. And I started to learn about the neuroscience of behavior change and nervous system dysregulation. And yeah, I made my way out of those cyclical patterns. And, you know, I couldn't be more grateful to have found a way out because I thought this is going to be the thing I struggle with for the rest of my life. And it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. I'm really hearing that the healing journey was so multifaceted. Mm. And I know that now you support other individuals around their relationship with food. And I'm curious in the work that you've done, both on yourself and those that you work with, what have you found many of those facets have been that sparks that kind of relationship with food where binge eating and emotional eating kind of come in as a protective mechanism. Yeah. Eating behavior is dynamic and it can be sparked into motion for a number of different reasons. I mean, trauma can be one reason that uh, we seek control in other aspects of our life because trauma is a situation that we feel like we have no control in. And so, you know, that can prompt things into motion, but what research suggests is some of the biggest things that prompt these behaviors into motion is body dissatisfaction and caloric restriction. And it's a, you know, it's a natural and normal response for a body that is calorie deprived to want to overeat. That is entirely normal. It's the body's survival mechanisms, but we normalize dieting and diet culture does a really good job of putting the blame on us when we don't succeed at the diet, but diets, they go against our body's biology. And so when you can look at it and go, okay, this body dissatisfaction that's perpetuated by these unrealistic beauty standards that are perpetuated by a multi-billion dollar a year diet culture, it makes sense why this gets into motion. And we try to restrict food. And, you know, we ironically, when we try to control food, food ends up controlling us. Our bodies are designed with these very beautiful mechanisms that regulate hunger, fullness, and satiety. But when we, you know, start to not listen to those and instead listen to our calorie trackers and our macro trackers and, you know, our watches and all these things, these external factors, instead of what our body is saying, we, it's, you know, we become out of tune with how to listen to our body as a baby. You know, we cry when we're hungry and hopefully our caretakers fed us and we naturally lose interest in food when we're full. And the reason that's not happening for a lot of adults is because they've learned to not trust their body and that body dissatisfaction that's got them to believe that there's something wrong with their body, that they need to change their body has created this, you know, this desire to change this desire to control food. And it just, it ends up spiraling entirely out of control. And then we feel guilt and shame and we feel like willpower, our willpower or our lack of discipline is to blame. But in reality, we're just going against our body's mechanism. So it becomes this, but then what happens is, you know, you realize that dieting is actually keeping you in these cyclical patterns and you try not to diet through years of engaging in these certain behavior patterns, you've programmed these in as some of your body's natural ways of responding. And so it becomes this process of unlearning and creating new neural pathways, learning new tools and techniques to you know, regulate your emotions and regulate your nervous system because your body's doing its best, but it's probably at this point, you're struggling so dysregulated that it needs focused energy and attention to, and, and tools and techniques to re-regulate back to normalcy. 
And a lot of us are walking around existing with what's known as this normative discontent. We're just used to feeling super anxious. We're used to just feeling on edge. We're used to feeling lethargic and tired. We're used to feeling, you know, all these different things just become normalized to us, but it's not normal for your body. Your body's nervous system is it's in overdrive. It's taxed. It can't keep up. And so that's why you're feeling this way. But when you learn how to regulate and uh, how to expand what's known as your body's window of tolerance, your ability to cope with stress, it's amazing what it feels like. And when you get to this place where you no longer even feel the impulse and the urge to binge, you know, that's when you've reached healing. It's not about getting stronger to resist it. It's about retraining the brain. So that's no longer its response. I really appreciate you bringing in that if you've been on and off diets for a really long time, that actually becomes what feels safe in your body to just keep on dieting. That when you try to stop dieting, that mm-hmm. feels so uncomfortable in your system that often the response is, well, I should maybe just go back on a diet because this feels so uncomfortable. And what I'm really hearing you say is that's actually the first step towards healing is once you get off of it, you can start to tap into what is present in the body to start to shift how it's responding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. you ha- it's, it's really important to to learn how to tune into the body. And, you know, a lot of people say these types of things, but they don't break it down in terms of what it means. They throw around mindfulness, they throw around being connected with your body, but they don't talk about what that actually means and how to actually accomplish that. Or we make sense of the world through our five senses. And so often we are so disconnected from what our body is experiencing via its five senses, because our thoughts are, are racing and we haven't learned tools to interrupt those mental patterns and to mentally pivot. We haven't learned about the concept of the thinking mind and the observing mind and how to take our power back by not being so in the movie of our own life, but instead taking a step back and being able to observe what's going on. Most of us haven't learned these concepts. And so we hear these types of things about, you know, mindfulness and connection, and it just sounds good, but it doesn't make sense practically. We don't know how to execute it. And so a lot of people are frustrated and and then you get another diet or a lifestyle plan that gives you very clear black and white guidelines of how to execute. And that feels a lot safer and a lot more clear than this whole journey of healing, because people are not doing a good job of explaining what healing actually means and the steps required. Yeah. And what I have often found is that when you start teaching someone to drop into the body, they're like, this is it. I just have to describe my senses or I just have to be in relationship with my sensations. And it sounds so simple. And yet when you start to practice it, it can bring up so much that I find at the beginning of a diet, it may feel more complicated. You have to kind of get all these things in place and there's these rules and regulations and structure. And that as you practice it, it may get easier to engage in that diet, but it actually makes you more and more disconnected from your body over time. Whereas embodiment may feel like it sounds easy at first. And then as you practice it, it feels a little bit harder as you dive in and then gets easier with time as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It it certainly takes time to reconnect with the body and to understand what it means to to be able to feel. A lot of us have become really good at uh, stuffing our emotion. 
But if you want to heal, you have to learn how to, you know, if you want to feel better, you have to learn how to feel what that means to feel and not stuff and not ignore and not numb out. And, you know, emotions are called feelings because they're felt in the body and emotions are driving our behaviors. And if we understand kind of the cascade of what leads into a behavior, and instead of just, you know, most people teach behavior change in terms of setting a goal and deciding what I need to do in order to accomplish that goal, but that's only going two layers or really just one layer deep. Like I have this goal, what behaviors do I need to change in order to meet this goal? But the reality is behaviors are driven by a multitude of influences and it requires willpower and discipline to behave in such a way that doesn't align with what we're feeling, thinking, and believing. But automatic behaviors are a product of flowing in alignment with beliefs, thoughts, and emotions. And so the things that we do automatically that we don't really, that don't require much effort, we do them automatically because our beliefs, our thoughts, and our emotions support that behavior. So if you want to researchers believe that true behavior change is actually the product of belief change. So belief is the core of all of our behaviors and really the realities that we live in. And so we can go a few layers deeper and we can look at what emotions am I experiencing? And, and can I develop and acquire emotional coping and nervous system regulation tools to support the emotions that I'm experiencing and process and metabolize them in healthy ways? If I can do that, if I can look at my emotions, I can support them better. Well, I can support behavior change better. Well, what's informing our emotions? Well, the sentences that run through our head, those are our thoughts. And those are a product of things we hear, things we see, the environments that we're around. And if we don't consciously make a decision as to what to allow to run through our mind, but we just let whatever come in and whatever marinate and whatever stay as long as it wants to stay. Even if it's, you know, if it's not supportive, it's going to inform unsupportive emotions and unsupportive emotional patterns. Well, why do we think the way we think it's because we have certain beliefs. So how do we start to change our belief system to support the lifestyle we want to live? Well, we can reverse engineer. We can look at people who have already accomplished what it is we want to accomplish. And we can go, I wonder what they think about this situation. Situation, or I wonder what their beliefs are around this. And we can start to try and imitate and adopt different ways of thinking and different ways of believing to see if it informs different emotions and thus different behavior patterns. Mm. This is bringing me to my next question of you say that you use these brain-based techniques and I'm curious what that means and what that includes. Yeah. There's a lot of different tools and techniques that we utilize. I always want to preface by saying the healing journey is certainly multifaceted healing impulsive tendencies with food, whether that's binge, emotional overeating, mindless eating, eating behavior is dynamic and there's a lot of layers to it, but it's not rocket science. When you learn it, when you, when you start to unpack all the different tools and techniques and you start to understand just the different aspects of healing, none of it is like doing complicated math or calculus. It's, it makes sense when you learn it, but we're just not taught. And so it all feels overwhelming when you're at the beginning, because there is a lot to unpack, but when it comes to learning different brain-based tools and techniques, we have to understand and make the mental shift of thinking about mental health as this airy fairy concept and realize that mental health is really uh, referring to an organ in our body and that's our brain. So switching the conversation from mental health to brain health, Mm -hmm. I think helps people give it a little more weight 
and a little more importance that that thing between your ears is not functioning optimally. And there's things that we can do to support it. Just like when, you know, we're having troubles in our gut and troubles in different parts of our body, there's things we can do to support it. Likewise, the same is true for the brain. So when we think about different brain-based techniques, what supports a healthy brain? Well, there's some foundational things that support the brain functioning healthfully. Number one, just very simply is our sleep. Sleep was one of the reasons that propelled me into an unhealthy relationship with food, lack of sleep. We need sleep. Our brain needs sleep. But then beyond that, thinking about there's different regions of the brain and there's regions that are responsible for emotion. There's reasons, there's regions of the brain responsible for reason and logic, making sense of things, learning new things. There's regions of the brain that are responsible just for our survival mechanisms. When we think about that, different brain-based techniques include a number of things like, you know, we have this emotional center in our brain and when we're experiencing emotions, there's a series of reactions that are let out in the body. We feel different things, physical things that we are, are felt in the body. And so if we can learn when we're experiencing an emotion, a different tool to support that emotion and that, you know, very simply that tool can be, and this is a, an emotion and nervous system regulation technique is when the brain is either hyper aroused or we're in a state of hypo arousal, you know, there's different techniques that we can use that can stimulate our body and stimulate the brain. One example is breath work. We can use our breath to increase oxygen levels in the body and to help ground us into a more regulated state to help support the nervous system from maybe being overactive or dropping into a lethargic apathetic state where we kind of go into the screw it mentality. We can use our breath to energetically bring us back up. Another brain-based technique and tool is is the tool of mental pivoting or mental reframing. And this requires the awareness of when we're going down these mental loops and spirals, when we're maybe trying on clothes in the morning and our pants fit tighter than they did a couple of weeks ago, and we're feeling discouraged and we want to go into this blame and shame and guilt. And, you know, this pattern of thinking, having the awareness that that's happening is the first step because sometimes we're so unaware of our thoughts. We're just in them, but having the awareness of, Oh, here I go again. And then being able to mentally pivot. And that's the, that's an ability to get a workout the brain. It's just like a muscle, but the ability to recognize that it's happening and then pivot our focus and take our brain into upward spirals instead of downward spirals by inserting different things to focus on that create this upward energetic loop of, instead of going going down the shame, blame, guilt, fear cycle, we, we shift our focus onto something that brings us into a place of groundedness and peace and calm and gratitude, the ability to mentally pivot. Mental collaboration is another one. So our brain's reticular activating system goes to work to create uh, pretty much a, a confirmation biases. So for example, if you're constantly having different thoughts around how you're not worthy or you know how you're always going to be stuck in this dysfunctional relationship with food or what What's wrong with me, or I'm so disgusting or whatever it is. Again, that's informing the emotions that you're feeling. And those emotions are informing the way that you behave. The way that you behave is creating the reality that you live in. And it's almost this self-fulfilling prophecy. So the brain, if you've ever been in the market, I like to explain the brain this way. If you've ever been in the market for a new car, say a red forerunner, after you decide, okay, the red forerunner is a car that I want. When you're out on the road, all of a sudden you're seeing more red forerunners than you used to see. And are there really any more red forerunners on the road? than there was before you decided you want one. 
No, but you just notice it now because you've decided that that's the car that you want to purchase. Likewise, this is how our brain's reticular activating system works. When we have an idea in our head, our brain goes to work to see that in the world around us. So if I have this idea inside of me that I am disgusting, which was an idea I used to hold on to for many years when I was so ashamed of the body I existed in, everything in my head went to work to reaffirm that that was true. I might catch somebody's glance and go, oh, they for sure were looking at me with an energy of disgust. Or I might be in a conversation with somebody and they're a little short and I'm like, oh, they don't respect me because they don't think I'm good looking or they think my body's disgusting. Like I would look for any little thing that would confirm what it was that I was thinking. Well, it's really interesting because you know there's red forerunners in the market and there's also black forerunners and there's also white Teslas. And I can choose which reality I choose to tap into because they can all be true. They can all be there, but I can exist in whichever reality I want to exist in. And if I want to exist in the reality of I'm disgusting, I can go to work to find a whole bunch of things that will tell me and affirm to me that I'm not good enough. Or I can start to believe, and this is the tool of mental collaboration. I can go, what is it? What's the reality that I want to exist in? And the way that I think about this in practical terms is, do I want to drive a beater of a car that's on its last leg? Or do I want to believe and do I want to exist in you know, the world of I don't know, luxury cars and fun vehicles. Like that's the reality that I want to exist in, but I have to see that first. I have to put myself in that energy and this is a practice. And so a belief is just a practice thought. So I started to practice this idea that I am worthy. I am more than my body and I I provide value and I am a dynamic human being. And like, I just started to practice these thoughts and they didn't feel real at first, but I continued to practice ones and not affirmations that felt so far off that it was hard for my system to even digest. But I started small stair-stepping my way into affirmations that maybe felt like a stretch for me to believe, but I practiced them and practiced them and practiced them. And those over time became ingrained beliefs. And then interestingly, the world around me shifted to support those ideas. And it wasn't that anything really changed. It was that I saw what I wasn't looking for before. And as I did that, my behavior started to change. My confidence started to grow. And you know, it was just this, like I said, this upward spiral. So the ability to one, have an awareness as to what thoughts are, what's going on in our thought life to be able to mentally pivot and create upward spirals, to be able to have a a compelling vision for our future. There's a very big difference between I hate my body. I hate the fact that I'm binge eating and I don't want to be doing this. And it's almost like we're running from something. There's an energetic difference from running from something versus running to something. And I started to run towards a compelling vision for myself. And that created this energy that fueled me. So those are a a few brain-based tools, the ability to mentally pivot. But then we get into, there's a ton of body-oriented tools and techniques that help support a shift in how the body's physically feeling, which helps support nervous system regulation, which then impacts what we're thinking. The fastest way to change what you're thinking is to get into your body and change the physical sensations your body is having. Yeah, this is so powerful. It makes Mm -hmm. me think of just the saying of our body doesn't know the difference between a real or perceived threat. 
And that what you put into the body, it makes a difference, whether that be brain-based, what you're thinking, or body-based with how you're perceiving your environment, that just, hey, I get to choose what my body's experience is. And I would love to hear you apply this also to binge eating and what you've seen shift for someone. It makes me think of like I tell a lot of individuals not to necessarily call themselves a binge eater yeah. because then suddenly it feels like it's a part of your identity. This is just yeah. something you do. It's who you are. And instead shifting that towards these are just patterns I'm engaging in already. It brings in a lot more space and curiosity for change to occur. So I'm curious yeah. where you've seen as you start to think about your binge eating behaviors differently what you've seen change. Yeah, absolutely. The identity shifting is really important. That's part of our belief system. So yeah, we don't want to claim what it is we don't want to create. So yeah, really, really important. And I think also knowing like your identity is you weren't born a binge eater or somebody who struggled with emotional overeating. It was a learned behavior through a variety of perhaps environmental conditioning. And, you know, there's different things that could have stimulated this into motion. Like I said, trauma, body dissatisfaction, which comes from, you know, uh, cultural conditioning. So there's a lot of things that prompted into the motion, but it's not how you were designed. It's not how any of us are born. If we existed on planet earth by ourselves, this struggle wouldn't exist. It's a product of the collective and the collective dysfunction. It is not who you are. It's not your identity. And it is super, super important to release attachment from that identity. And there's a reason that, you know, doctors and medical professionals, psychiatrists will diagnose and label somebody. There is an important medical purpose to that. And that is when you receive a diagnosis and a label, then it gives your medical team a framework of how to support you. So they go, okay, this person exhibits all of these signs that check the box of being diagnosed as, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. And then the medical team can go, okay, well, the research around X, Y, and Z, you know, this is what it shows in terms of treatment protocol and in terms of, you know, what we need to do. So having a diagnosis, you know, I think we have to understand it's medical intent, but also on a psychological standpoint, it's really important that we don't attach ourselves, you know, whether you've been, and you don't have to be diagnosed to struggle with food. The majority of people who struggle with food are never diagnosed, but if you exhibit all of the signs of binge eating and, you know, having a dysfunctional relationship with food, yes, it can be insightful to go. Yeah. I think binge eating is the thing that I'm doing, but again, we don't need to label ourselves that because like you said, it's not who you are at, at your core and it's not something you, we want want to continue to create. And it's not how you were born either. And there's a very, a very real way to get out of it and retrain the brain and unlearn some of the patterns that you've learned. Absolutely. So we just went into so many different tools that someone can start to engage with. And I'm curious, what have you found be a first step? Because when someone starts to cultivate that awareness, like you said, awareness a couple of times, that's where it starts. We can't change what we're not aware of. And so when someone starts to cultivate that awareness, oh, you know what? I don't really feel like I have the kind of relationship with my food and body that feels nourishing that leaves me feeling vibrant in my system. Where does someone start in your experience 
to begin to shift and change their behaviors. Because as you're even identifying, there are so many different avenues that someone can go down. So what have you found be a first baby step someone can start taking? Well, let's just talk about that awareness component first. We might hear a lot, okay, we need to start cultivating awareness. And somebody hears that and they're like, okay, that sounds good. And then they go about their day and they go back to work and they go about their, you know, it's they're done listening to this podcast or done, you know, reading that post or whatever it is. And it's like, what does that mean? What does awareness mean? Well, you have an awareness of things because it's constantly popping up or you're constantly seeing, or it's repetitive in nature. That's what creates an awareness. So to create an awareness as to what's going on inside of your head, how do you do that? Well, the majority of our day is spent on autopilot and that's a beautiful thing. The brain creates patterns so that we don't have to try and effort as hard. A lot of our days spent on autopilot, we wake up and we don't think about going to the bathroom and brushing our teeth and getting ready. Most of the time, it's just something we do. Likewise, you know, if you've been in a job a while, it's a lot of it's probably on autopilot, your route that you take to the grocery store. It's like ingrained in your head. It's because you've repeated these things over and over. That's what creates awareness. So repetition creates awareness, repetition of seeing something, hearing something, being around something that creates awareness. How do we create awareness as to the sentences going through our head, which are thoughts, the emotions that we're feeling, the behaviors that we're engaging in? Well, we have to check in. We have to look at them. And so the way that we can do that very practically to start to create create awareness is through some visual reminders, through some auditory reminders, alarms. And so my encouragement is to create sticky note reminders that you put on your mirror, that you put on the dashboard of your car, that you put on your fridge that remind you to do a mindfulness check-in. So you can start paying attention to the thoughts that are just kind of playing on a loop or the, or start tuning into and paying attention to what emotions do I experience throughout the day? One of the challenges I give the clients that I work with in the food freedom online program is to set an alarm, to go off on their phone three to five times a day to do a 90 second mindfulness check-in, which is part of developing the habit of creating more awareness as to what's going on in inside of our head. And so that alarm goes off and you ask yourself eight questions. You start with your five senses. So each of those is one question. What am I seeing right now? So you just tune in to what the body's experiencing. Cause again, the body makes sense of the world through its five senses. So you just look around, name a few things you're seeing, take a big, deep inhale through your nose, name anything you can smell. What, what can you hear right now? Maybe it's just right now. I just hear my own voice and the hum of my computer. And then do you have any flavors in your mouth? What can you taste? And then touch, reach out your hand and touch something. What do you feel? And then the next three questions are what thoughts or what sentences can I recall running through my head the last 30 minutes, last hour, last couple of hours? Oh yeah. I remember when my boss sent me that email, I thought, gosh, dang it. Does she not remember that I'm on vacation this week? And I asked to be left alone. Like I remember that sentence running through my head or Oh yeah. I remember when I was brushing my teeth this morning and I noticed those new wrinkles on my forehead. I thought, man, aging really is a bitch, whatever. Just like what sentences can you remember going through your head? And then the next one is what emotions have I experienced the last hour or the last few hours that I can recall? I remember feeling discouraged when I saw those wrinkles on my forehead. I remember I also felt a little anxious when my boss emailed me because I'm trying to be on vacation and she keeps bugging me. 
whatever. And then what behaviors did I engage in the last 30 minutes, last hour, last few hours, just a few things you've actually done. Oh yeah. I opened up my email on my phone. Oh yeah. I brushed my teeth. Oh yeah. I remember vacuuming, whatever. So just being able to create awareness as to our thoughts and our emotional patterns and our behavior patterns is so, so powerful. So that's really, again, we, like you said, we cannot change what we first aren't aware of. So we have to start being aware of our patterns because then when you you start learning tools to shift your patterns, you know where to insert them. But if you don't have any awareness as to these cyclical thought patterns and cyclical behavior patterns and, you know, cyclical emotional patterns, it's really hard to change what you don't have a consciousness around. Yes, 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 yes. I mm. am so loving all of that. I actually offer something very similar of mm. sticky notes, alarms on your phone, because it has to start there. There has to be something that takes you out of automatic pilot mode to be mm -hmm. able to start to cultivate this awareness. You don't even have to write anything on the sticky note. It could even just be a color that catches your eye. You know, if red really stops you in your track, like put red sticky note on your steering wheel, put a red sticky note on the cabinet you usually reach for when you're disembodied, just finding ways to slow you down, to get you back into your body. And then these questions, I love these questions, just to start to get curious of what has happened recently that might be impacting this moment that I'm having now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So powerful. Well, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we leave time. I would love for you to share of how individuals can learn more about you and your work and what you do. And so, yeah, you shared so many mm -hmm. amazing tools today and would love to hear more around how people can keep in touch with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you're a podcast listener. I love podcasting. I have my own podcast called The Dear Body Podcast available on all platforms. I dive deeper into all these different topics and conversations. I hang out on Instagram and TikTok at Jesse J E S S I Jean J E A N N N. And then I have my four-month online program, the Food Freedom Online Program, as well. So that's where you can find me. That's where I spend my days. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, it's such important work you're doing in the world. And thank you for sharing some of these initial tips and things things that you explore with those that you work with. I will add all of those links into the show notes and to all of the listeners. If you have any questions, as always, reach out anytime. Absolutely here for you on this journey and looking forward to connecting with you all again really soon. Bye.